Good day, and thanks so much for hanging out with us today. I'm joined by Larry Bowler. Larry teaches history to high schoolers and middle schoolers. God bless Larry. <laughs> he introduces teens to America's past, even the parts that cause people to sometimes whisper. Also joining us today, Donna Lowry. Donna is with Pointer Institute. She researches, teaches, and of course, champions diversity, equity, and inclusion. Thanks to both of you for joining me today. We're glad to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, very glad to be here. No doubt. Glad to have you. And today we're, we're asking the question, what is race? A compelling question, right? Because pretty much every conversation we've had of late uh, in some form or fashion involves race. And, and Larry, I'll start with you, the, the history teacher here. What is race? What does, what, what does that entail? Oh, boy. So um, there's the main definition that I found uh, doing research uh, when you look at encyclopedias is the idea that the human species is divided into distinct groups on the basis of inherited physical and behavioral excuse me, differences, um, which is very, and I got that from, Encyclo from Encyclopedia Britannica, and then of course National Geographic defines it much of the same way as a category of humankind that shares certain distinctive physical traits. Um, my definition uh, is a social construct, which those definitions touch on. It's a social construct based on physical attributes that determines varying factors of the individual's life based on the society in which the individual lives. So and, that's and what I have. Thank you for that. And Donna, that, that warranted a, a head nod from you when he said social construct. Absolutely. We got to realize that it's a human invention and it was not something it's not scientific. It's not biological. It's not, it's something that human beings came up with and it created this hierarchy, the uh, hierarchy determining who people are, you know, uh, for superiority in particular. Um, and so as I discuss with Pointer is white is the default. And everything else you talk about is based on anything that's not white, but is not something that, that is based on anything scientific or anything biological. And I think there are people who believe that that is true. And it's not even necessarily based on skin color because we know that it, you can't just look at a person and tell their race. And so one of the things we know also is that for years, if you just had one little drop of um, black blood, you were considered black. And so it had nothing to do with what, what people looked like. There were black people, of course, who passed as white. And it was only um, because of the, that little drop of blood that made a difference. So I think that's the main thing for people to know, that it is something that people came up with, that science did not come up with. And I said, God bless Larry at the beginning, because uh, tongue in cheek, uh, well, I remember what I was like as a middle schooler. So <laughs> I can only imagine the questions that come from students when it, when it comes to race, Larry. What type of questions are students asking you? What type of conversations are surfacing? Well, a lot of our conversations, and I'll, I'll talk mainly on the context of teaching an American history class in which, you know, the United States has a... Um, uh, very history when it comes to colonialism um, and that construct of race, which which was 
basically being accepted by academic communities during the time of America's uh, biggest development, you know, the industrial age. Um, and so most of my kids, most of my students, um, I think their definition of race really does fall closely in line with understanding, you know, they come to me understanding that it is a social construct you know, for the most part. And so a lot of the conversation that comes about within the context deals with the treatment of Native Americans, then later on the treatment of enslaved Africans, um, and even um, what, uh, what that treatment became after slavery in the United States. So a lot of our conversations about race uh, goes around these different time periods and some of these different groups of people. And you said something interesting there. You said enslaved Africans. You didn't say slaves. That's that's right. something you want to make sure that that is clear with, with your students. Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, we, we learn about how Africans were brought to the United States um, and these people weren't slaves uh, in, inherently, you know, just just because they were African or even Sub-Saharan African or Black African, it didn't, that doesn't automatically put them into this category as being slaves. They had been captured, kidnapped, and enslaved uh, and put into this state of slavery. And so, um, you know, words are very important. Um, and so that's, that's a big distinction that you have to think of. I, I, think, I think kind of coming at it the other way around almost makes it seem as if uh, these people, my ancestors, your ancestors, um, have always in some, in, in some way been slaves, you know what I mean? It, it just, it just, it just kind of trapped our ancestors in this bubble and these were human beings and these were very resilient human beings who learned how to survive, learned how to create culture, preserve aspects of their culture in an environment that was seemingly impossible to, to maintain your humanity. Donna, you know, um, you know we, we try to encapsulate some semblance of that into, into what you're sharing with individuals today. So how does that work out for you there? Yeah, it, it, it's difficult because it, it is so ingrained. Race and racism uh, is so ingrained in our society and the way we've been thinking of um, what, what race is in this whole hierarchy and this whole superiority that it is tough to get people who have that, that feeling, people of all races, to understand what it all means and what how it affects how we live our lives now and how the changing of the, uh, the demographics of the United States as we become increasingly, um, um, increasingly more diverse in this country. I think it's 2045 that my, um, whites will be the my minority in this country. So it's changing. And so what the what I'm talking about with Pointer is dealing with how how we handle all of that and make sure that we are uh, we are thinking about how we relate to people in a different way because of that. And because there are people we all have these unconscious biases about the way things should be. You know, I was telling somebody in one of the groups, they asked me, do you say black or African-American? And I said, honestly, for a long time, I said African-American because I was thinking American. I'm African-American, not thinking of the entire uh, uh, African diaspora 
and the, the black Jamaicans and people from um, England and Europe and, and different places. And I, so that was my unconscious bias. And a lot of us have those because of the way we have been conditioned to believe over all of these years, over these centuries as a country. I'm glad you mentioned conditioning there, because as you're having these conversations with journalists who are documenting history, uh, the lens through which they see America is really how it's seen as we move forward. So what are those conversations like? Is it difficult to really impart this wisdom uh, yeah. when when people have always seen certain things a certain way. When I say people, I mean specifically white individuals who see history the way it was taught to them. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, you know, when I say white as the default, as journalists, that's what we've been saying, you know, so we only point out things that are uh, non-white, we have people of color, we only talk about Asians or bl um, black or, you know, even even when it comes to gender roles, <laughs> we don't talk, we only think of things in terms of white and what this uh, superior race has taught us to think because that's the way we feel. And getting people to think differently about all of that is tough because it's, it's really ingrained in who we are as people. And we really are gonna have to change that in order to be, um, in order as journalists to be able to tell the stories that we should tell and impart that upon the audiences who are looking to us. We don't recognize that all the time. They're looking to us to, do, to help shape who the way they look at the world too. So we've really got to pay attention to what we're saying. You talked about the dominant culture. So both of you are wildly outnumbered when you're sharing this information. What's that like for you? And I'll, I'll start with you, Larry. What, what's that like for you? Because you're not only, uh, I don't want to say dealing with in the sense of it being a problem, but you're not only working with students, but you're in some instances dealing with parents who may not appreciate some of the information that you'd like to share. Well, I'll say this. Um, I try within my lessons and within how I teach these different things um, I try to have a very objective view. I try to, you know, for instance, if we go back to talking about slavery, I make sure to emphasize the humanity of those who were enslaved. You know, that way it doesn't become this conversation about the big, bad, white versus the the small and valiant and, and you know, you know, just, you know, that whole noble savage trope, you know, that. I, I try to really leave that out of how I teach the lessons and come at things very black and white in the sense that, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking about human beings. And so um, that's how my messages are delivered. And so far I've been teaching for six years. I've not really gotten a lot of pushback. Now I have in certain contexts had students make certain comments um, but even with those comments, those were opportunities. I saw them as opportunities to say, hey, you know, let's really emphasize the humanity of this particular group of people. Uh, let's emphasize, you know, certain things that have happened historically that shape the way that this group of people um, have been treated, have been looked at. 
uh, or have been maybe even placed within society. And so, so far, I don't really get a lot of pushback. Now, whether people like that message or not, you know, that is not something that's been brought to me in my personal experience. And Donna, what's your experience been? Well, you know, there there is some pushback, but I think because I'm talking to journalists, there's a overall there's an interest in learning something. Um, we've got to evolve a, in our profession, and so so the pushback hasn't been as strong as I thought it would be, to be honest with you, when we started this uh, inclusive journalism project. But there, there are people who are, um, who, who are unwilling to change things, you know, the, and, and really want defined alternatives for the way we say things. So if we're not going to, um, if we're not going to use white as the default, if we're not going to use, for instance, white suburban as a way of saying white, when we realize that white suburban can can be a very diverse, I mean, I'm sorry, suburban women, uh, we've used that as a way of as a substitute for saying white in the past as journalists. So now we realize that suburban women can be very diverse, and there are people who are like, well, well what do we say? Well, you just say white, you know, uh, those kind of things. So you said the same thing with blue collar. And yeah, same you. thing with blue collar. There, there are things that we've used, coded language that we've used for years in our profession to to separate, to not say white, actually, but we will say, you know, this is the the black community. This is the way, you know, blacks are looking at things or Asians or Latinos, that kind of thing. But we won't say, actually say white. And so just making sure that we are being clear in what we're saying, I think is important with that. And then the other part of that is that covering stories that deal with race. And right now I'm in Georgia and right now we're dealing with critical race theory. As journalists, our, our governor just all of a sudden came out with this um, this a letter that he wrote to the State Board of Education saying, you know, he advises them to make sure there will be no critical race theory taught in schools. Well, it took um, journalists had to figure out what that was, <laughs> first of all, to be able to explain it and then to be able to um, to to be able to understand how complex that is also as, as something. And the critical race theory, of course, is, um, I don't know if you guys have been dealing with that a lot, but 40 years ago, basically, um, it was a theory that was come up by legal scholars. So it's actually not a curriculum or anything like that, but there were there were feelings within school boards within our area that it was going to be something horrible that was going to be taught to our kids. And it was going to change the way, you know, white children in particular felt about themselves as oppressors over the years. And, and that black children would feel or black children would feel as victims and all. So, so in terms of what I'm teaching, we've got to not only focus on the way we're saying things, but how we're talking about the issues that come up dealing with race. That responsibility, um, it, it belongs to everyone everywhere, but specifically in the newsroom, but specifically when it comes to black journalist, does it not? I mean, we have to really make sure that folks are uh, some semblance of culturally competent when we share this information we hope to educate, or, or is that our responsibility? I think we can't separate ourselves from ourselves from our who we are as people. Um, we we have a responsibility at, in our profession to tell 
our stories, uh, to, to, to do what we're um, paid to do. But we also can't separate the fact that we are black and we're black journalists and that it is our responsibility to explain some of the things that are going on within our um, within our communities as in as a, a part of our world. You know, we can't go around acting like we don't get treated a certain way because of um, because of our, our race, because of. Um, our skin color in particular that says what our race is sometimes. Um, so we, so yeah, I don't think you can separate that all the time. The main thing is that, you know, we're, we are not only educating, but we're informing people about what's going on in the world. What do you make of that, Larry? I think that, um, I think Don is making a really good point. You know, uh, education in that sense, you know, which, you know, you start, in the home with the parents, then you move on into school and you learn a lot of different concepts in school in conjunction with what you have with your parents. And then you get to be older and then you do have uh, the journalists who are supposed to inform us. And I think that's, that's the part that's really difficult is because when some of these stories come about um, in the reporting world, it, you know, for me not being a reporter, I think a lot of times it's delivered to the public as being something sensational. So you don't so so as you know if if you're not someone who works in education or if you're you're prone to a certain belief system i think that it's really difficult for individuals to determine you know right from wrong or up from down you know versus it being something where the reporters are necessarily just putting information out there for us to do with whatever we will in a sense that you you know them putting out things that are, are factual which a lot of good reporters do that um, there's, there's a lot of good reporters and in, in a lot of agencies out there that, that still do that, um, especially when you're mentioning something like critical race theory, to be honest with you, until they started talking about uh, banning it from school, um, I had to go and look up what it was exactly, you know, um, because just being a teacher, like I said, for, for the last six years, it, it doesn't pop up, you know, if, if and I, I can't even say if that's kind of the curriculum that we use for certain, you know, since it is, it isn't this set curriculum that you, you're receiving. Um, but what it's like to teach history from the books that I use, it, it's not this thing that, that paints this picture as the big, bad, white, and then everyone else. But what I can say, growing up in the United States, um, especially specifically if we're talking about history, um, I do think there's a lot of mythology that's, that's put out there and that is believed when it comes to race. And I do think when we're teaching about history, specifically, even world history, I think it's really, really important to, again, emphasize humanity, uh, emphasize patterns that you see in humanity, um, and really tell the truth about about what things are, you know what I mean? You know, I, I think uh, an example of that would be if you go back to an American history class so many years ago, learning about Christopher Columbus, and then of course we, you know, I'm sure some of the words that pop up in you guys' mind, even though as, as adults we know this isn't true, this discoverer of America and, you know, the Columbus Day holiday, you know, you have all these different things. And the truth uh, really is that, well, you can't discover something that people have already lived on for thousands of years, you know, that, that, so that doesn't, that doesn't pan out. This big discoverer doesn't pan out. 
Um, also, somebody who thought they were in India the whole time they they lived. He, he never knew he had reached a different continent. He never knew he wasn't in communication with Eastern Indians. And so, um, so you have that. And then there's an element of cruelty and of incompetence on his behalf and the fact that he wasn't really liked by Queen Isabella or Ferdinand. You know, so there's, there's all these other aspects of the history that aren't classically taught. And something that I do like about teaching in this age is all that information is there. You know, all that information is there. All that information is taught. And so we're able to give students, we're able to give individuals um, that truth about, about humans, especially when you start getting into um, talking about the mythos of a person versus the realities of a person, you know, um, and, and the people. And so um, I don't know if I'm getting too far away from the question, but um, when I think about teaching with race in mind, uh, it's not this big, it, again, the narrative is not this white is bad and then black and other is automatically good. It's just really about telling the facts of these historical events, different things that have happened. And when we get to American history specifically, or even if you start looking at history in different countries in Africa, it's, it's those European countries um, who said who who really perpetuated the, the social system, the social caste system of race, et cetera, um, and even wove it into the academic system uh, during the age of enlightenment, which is where you, you kind of get that concept where more and more people would start to identify or be identified as white, you know, whereas in the early 1800s, you weren't identifying Irishmen and women as being white. You weren't identifying Italian people as being white, if that makes any sense. These are some things that just start to kind of pop up later on in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, so again, try not to get too far away from the question, but you know, I, I, don't, I don't teach history in the context of, oh, you know, white people are bad, everybody else is the victim, and people should hate their own country. It just doesn't pop up that way. And so I think I'm a little concerned about what narrative the public is thinking when they start talking about critical race theory and even, okay, you ban it. Do we go back to teaching that, you know, does, does curriculum start to pop up with Christopher Columbus discovered America and everything's great. If, does that make sense? I think that's right. the big concern for me is for who's delivering the message. How does the message get changed? How does, uh, you know, do we go back to, not really telling the full story, if that makes any sense. No, it makes it makes perfect sense. And we're, we're talking about what is shared as a teacher. And so, um, you know, what we've taught. So, Donna, what ultimately have you in this in this role? What have you learned about people when it comes to race? And ultimately, I know that's a broad question, but but what is the takeaway that you you've garnered? Because ultimately, I, I believe that we all uh want to live a happy life. And, and I would love to believe that we all want what's best for one another. I'd love to believe that. But what have you learned about people? 
I, I think that um, I think that this has been interesting because I can talk about, you know, what what we teach in, you know, at Pointer. But I can also tell you that I had a conversation a few weeks ago with family members and my in-laws. We were all together uh, in Tennessee who, and we, I started talking about some of the things that I discuss in in the, the trainings. And they, there was pushback, you know, um, and these are African-Americans who were pushed back. Well, well, why are we why are we talking about all of this? And and even trying to explain to them that this the way our country is becoming more diverse makes it more important for us to discuss the way things are and how we have to be more inclusive in the way we look at life and the way we look at this country and the way we we talk about things. And we you know, we don't keep these these same biases. Um, unconscious biases in our um, way of thinking. So um, I think it's been interesting to, uh, I, I remember I had a conversation with my sister-in-law who was just like, I, I don't understand why you feel like the need to do this. Why are we all of a sudden doing this? Is it just because last year, you know, people took to the streets after George Floyd's death and the whole bit? And I said, yeah, there's that, but there's this awareness that this is a changing country. There's changing demographics. We have to figure out how to get a Long better. And also we had an administration that kind of divided our country a little bit. And now there's this more openness to trying to look at things um, in a different way. And so so it hasn't just been it, it has been interesting for me to um, to hear people, how people react to even discussing these things. But I think it's important, um, despite any pushback that we might get. And like I said, it's not it's just not certain communities. I, it really surprised me that I had family members who were just like uh, who just like I'm, I'm fine with the way things are, you know, the way we look at things right now. And so why do we have to change the way the way things are? So there's some of that, too. Even so, I, I guess my final question for both of you, are you hopeful? And, and Donna, we'll let you take it first. Yeah, yeah, I'm absolutely hopeful. I think what we're seeing in terms of a country that is um, more interested, overall, I'm seeing people who are more interested in, in finding out about each other and understanding each other, despite the pushback, like I said, from family members, from other people. Overall, I think we, we recognize that we are um, a more diverse country and that we have to... Um, we have to respect who we are. We have to respect each other in that way and be more understanding of who who we are. So yeah, I'm I'm very hopeful about things. I think um, young people always make me hopeful about everything, uh, and I'm so glad that you know Larry is is working with them in terms of uh, what they're learning. But yeah, I'm totally hopeful that we are going to be better at this. But it's going to be a process. We've got to continually work at it. It's not going to be a magical thing where everybody is there's this kumbaya moment. But I think we are going to be better at um, just um, tolerance and understanding and respect for each other. Don't let us down, Larry. I know as a teacher, you're not going to say nope. <laughs> <laughs> I think to a big degree, I do agree with Donna. Um, I'll say for the children and the students and the families that I I've worked with, especially let's focus on, you know, the students part. When I see, when I see their outrage or their shock at, you know, when we talk about moments in this country, certain things that were set up in this country, certain things that have been allowed, when I see that, it does fill me with hope. 
because I, I hope that there is more adherence to this constitution and a lot of the beliefs and values that are constantly being discussed when it comes to this country, of course, you know, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and those types of things, and freedom. Um, so, you know, I think that when I see those, I, I do feel hopeful. I think the thing that does concern me is having certain leadership, whether it's state government, local government, who I take as fighting very hard to maintain that, that social construct of race and that hierarchy, you know, at, at a lot of different turns. And I think that's the part that really does concern me. So it's like what Donna said, it's a process. It's a process. There's progress being made, I believe. Um, but I still feel like there's a long road ahead. Awesome. I can't thank the both of you enough. Uh, Larry Bowler, Donna Lowry, thank you so much for your time and discussing this topic so openly and unapologetically. And thanks to all of you out there for listening. Until next time, have a good one.